This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. All right, listeners, here we go. We are on with Chris Conley, engineer, entrepreneur, parent, innovator, a lot of words you can use for Chris. I have known Chris since 2016. At that point, I started training as a client, his wife, Sarah, who is also a brilliant engineer. And from the first day I met her, I can't really describe how impressed I am with with two people, both in terms of their entrepreneurial efforts, their success in life, but also how much they find enjoyment in life, how good of parents they are. And what we are talking about specifically today is how self-sufficient they are. To give you an example, Sierra once made me, and I'll talk about this in the episode, Sierra once made me a homemade ice bag made with cherry pits. And and it was from a conversation we had the day before about ice bags for some reason. And out of nowhere, she went home, she got fabric, she sewed the fabric, she took cherry pits that they had actually used, you know, washed them, put them in there, sewed it up, threw it in the freezer, it gets cold. I've had a, a countless amount of these examples from speaking with Sierra and Chris over the years. And while again, they're equally profess, you know, impressive and maybe Sierra will be on this episode one day, you know, Chris was generous to spend his time to come in here and, and talk to me specifically about self-sufficiency and what that means and, and where for him specifically it started, which you'll hear came a lot from, from childhood and his upbringing. But we'll get into a lot of the cultural norms and the, the reasons behind self-sufficiency and then how to get started with being just a more self-sufficient person and why it might be important for you just as a general human being, professionally, relationship-wise, parent-wise, all of the above. Really loved where this episode went. Huge amount of, of takeaways. And it's one that I know I'm going to listen to multiple times myself because just like I had the past five years, I just never stopped learning from Chris and Sarah. So listen in. Um, don't forget to rate and review when it's over. And as always, please let me know what you think. All right, listeners, we are on with Chris Conley. Chris, thanks a lot for, for the time today and for joining. Happy to be here. Whoop, whoop. Give it up for me, everybody. Come on. Uh, yeah, I, I hear, hear the applause. The I yes, hear it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Could we give a little background uh, on you, what you do, where you come from, wherever you want to start? Sure. I don't know if this is relevant to the topic this morning, but I grew up in a small town in Illinois, Freeport, and was always making things. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, grew up, came to Chicago for college, became an engineer. And then went to design school, uh, learned systems design and more making things, and then built a career. I'm basically an entrepreneur and consultant and teacher. So I kind of, I try to keep my feet in all three areas of being interested in growing businesses, mentoring and teaching others, and 
What was the third one I said? <laughs> uh, teacher. Yeah, no, I, I covered both. Teacher, entrepreneur, and consultant. consultant. Yeah. And so the consulting side pretty much was most of my career, teaching probably half my career. I was a tenured professor at the Institute of Design at IIT in Chicago, where I taught across the schools. I taught in engineering, MBA, and design. And I'm kind of sharing these multidisciplinary, different interests, because I think it is relevant to what we're going to talk about today. And the consulting company uh, grew, and we were fortunate to uh, sell to Salesforce in 2016. And that was a long, a long journey, you know, more than 20 year journey. And sometime we can talk about that, that entrepreneurial uh, business journey, because I think it's interesting and has lots of lessons in it. Yes. And now I run a platform called Abundant Professional, and it's just launching. And that's a online community cohort, if you will. I'm launching a class to teach people how to approach professional work with more creativity, with more collaboration, more engagement, creating relationships and making work meaningful. And that all, all that comes out from my background of trying to make business more meaningful and, and interesting. So that's where we are now. And I've been fortunate to make friends with you after my spouse started working out with you. And now you guys are business partners and Spartan partners, and it's great. Yeah. So it's a real, it's a real pleasure to uh, see that and your business develop too. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I I met Sira and yourself, I think, right around that 2016 mark, right, right as you guys were going into your your oh. process of of selling. So it's it's oh, it's been yeah, it's been a number of years. There was a lot of ways that you know when I contacted you about doing this, as you know, I, I had a long topic list. Everything you said that you do professionally, I have benefited from. Oh, Full nice force. Um, and one, it's it's sincere too. You know, Sarah and you, I've been impressed by both you in, in many ways. And you have sat with me, I don't know how many countless generous hours and helping me with with marketing and consulting and, and just how to do things better. If it wasn't for you and Sarah, I, I wouldn't be where oh, I'm at today. Nice so to yeah. so there's there's a lot of things that I I want to be able to share um in terms of what, what well, that I want I want to share you <laughs> to other people. <laughs> But yeah, today, nice. but today, the, the where I wanted to kick off was really the almost what you the other side of of the Conleys, mm-hmm. which is I uh, not say more impressed by, but the most intrigued by maybe is how self sufficient. I think that's the main word I really want to use today. How self sufficient you are with everything. And just as a quick example, I remember one time Sarah and I were having a conversation about ice bags, and I think it was twenty four hours later, if that. She came in with a homemade ice pack made with cherry pits that I still have. (laughs) And the kids still use every time they bump their head or bump their knee, they go for the cherry pit bag. Like that's, and it's lasted. I think right now it's probably five years old. It was probably a long time ago. She made that for me, but there's just over the, over the years of knowing you guys, there has been a million examples of that, of every, and even now my staff now, you know, every time there's something they go, well, ask Sarah, she'll have an answer, <laughs> you know, and she does, you know, whether it's a door jam issue or a planting issue or an electrical issue, it doesn't matter. You guys are just, you're, you're so impressively self-sufficient. So I guess what I want to start with is, is that something that you both had as a trait independently, or is that something that kind of came that you guys grew together with as, as your relationship grew, maybe? I would say, I think the simple answer is we came to our relationship, both being like that and probably one of the reasons why we hit it off 
and one of the reasons why Sarah felt sorry enough for me to take me on and start <laughs> working with me to make me better. Uh, but we both we both had it. Both we're both engineers. I think there is something different though. There's lots of probably engineers that aren't self-sufficient uh, because it's just a profession, right? But I think there is something about who we are, which is we love to try things. We love to learn new things. And we do like to be self-sufficient. And I think that may come, and I don't want to over-dramatize it, but we both came from low means. You know, I grew up in a small town. My parents made maybe $30,000 a year, five kids, had a wonderful upbringing, but money was never part of it. And so very right. early on, I had to figure out ways to make money. And that was through mowing lawns, building furniture for friends. Like I, I still remember building an aquarium stand for somebody and selling it for a hundred bucks or whatever to them. And I'm sure it wasn't fine woodworking, but the, you know, the, the community is like, oh, Chris is making furniture, let's support him. Then I built some display cases for a shoe, comp a shoe store in, in our hometown. So I sold worms <laughs> to the fishermen <laughs> that would go past our, that would drive past the house. But all those things you have to figure out because you, you don't really, I mean, I wasn't in, I was in the mechanics class in, in high school, but not woodworking or anything like that. And I just always had a, a fascination for it. I like to say, and I, I can't speak for Sarah's growing up, except her parents are farmers, but they, she grew up in Chicago, not on a farm, but that, that sense of uh, self-sufficiency is deep in us because kind of, we always had to be, it wasn't, we weren't ordering food as kids for sure. Not that my mom was a great cook. She was a Betty Crocker cook, like yeah. most Midwest moms were yeah. at the time. Mine. Yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. then, I mean, even my cooking, which I consider part of my self-sustainability, started, my mom used to call me the, the leftover king because I would take leftovers and make up some concoction that turned it into something more interesting to eat than cold leftovers from the, from the refrigerator. So that self-sufficiency has always, has always been there. But I think it's driven by a sense of wanting to know how things work, trying new things, and the doing of it is rewarding and interesting. Yeah. Now, I think, and interrupt me anytime you need to. to <laughs> yeah, no, this is great. We have three hours, right? <clears throat> yeah, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, great. Days. Uh, <laughs> I think there's also, there's an aesthetic to doing it. Like I said, you enjoy it because there's something about the interaction with your hands and mind and figuring something out that in that's interesting. However, the problem is the first time you do things that they don't work, they don't right. work like you would like to. So the question is, do you, do you get frustrated by that? Or are you embarrassed by that? Yeah. Do you immediately say, Oh, I don't know how to bake bread because the first five loaves didn't come out very good. I think there's something to self-sufficiency, which is just about repetition and trying again and being okay with the failure, which, you know, it's no coincidence. That's also the model for our professional work and innovation and creating new things. We have to, you have to fail at new things because you don't know how it's going to interact with your knowledge in the world and all that kind of thing. So I think it's really important that people start to develop a mindset of enjoying the failures, which are actually just information. It's just the, <laughs> it's yeah. the craft or the expertise speaking back to you that, hey, 
you missed something. Maybe you didn't fold the dough right. Maybe you didn't mix the proportions or mix it in the right order or something like that. And people can get overwhelmed by that very quickly. And I think what's always fascinating to me is when I start things, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. It's not like it's a, nat a knack for actually knowing how to do things. Right. I think that's important to say. But then once you know how to do it, you can't, it's very hard to remember like, how, how naive I was about making kombucha or, or making bread or something like that. So this little area is a great place to explore for people who are wanting to do more things or interested in trying something. You have to realize that the first three to five times, it's not going to work. But if you pay attention, which is it's just part of the learning, if you pay attention and try something different and a little bit of that experimentation and being, well, maybe I totally missed something. Let me go back and just do it again and do it again. It, it comes, it, it, it's, it's, that's how it works for anybody, not yeah. special people. That's how it works for anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I do want to say, I love, well, I love this message. I love the carryover aspect of, you know, I think we've come into a time society-wise where we've become very impatient. People want fast results. When people are not good at something, they immediately say, well, never mind. I'm going to scrap it. I'm going to go somewhere else. And if we're like that in simpler things where the result necessarily doesn't, you know, if you mess up your purse, your first time making bread, it right. sucks. You, you, right. you wasted some money. You didn't get to eat it. But in the end, no harm done. But if we have that attitude, this impatient attitude with that, odds are we probably have the same attitude with our career and our relationships and our parenting. So I, I like 100%. this connection of self-sufficiency being something that you work on and it, and it makes you a better professional, makes you a better person overall, not just because maybe you're saving money and helping the environment, which are also great things that we're going to touch right. on today, right. but also because it's, it's a it's a characteristic practice of, of being a patient and less stressed person. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's interesting, the language we use, right? Um, you said it's something you work on and I don't think about it as work, which is, I think, and neither does Sarah. Um, when people see us from the outside and we're building a garden in our backyard or I, every, <laughs> every spring I get huge loads of, either compost or uh, new soil for the beds or mulch. And, you know, I'm wheelbarrowing hundreds of wheelbarrows around the yard. <laughs> and, you know, the neighbors are kind of like, oh, I love your garden, blah, blah, blah. You, you work so hard at that, da, da, da. And yes, it's work, but there's something, it's not, it doesn't feel that way. It feels like accomplishment. It feels like getting into an activity. It feels like sometimes meditation with it in a different space, but you have to have that attitude towards it. I mean, if you came to everything by going, oh, I got to get up the, you know, the motivation to do the work and don't get me wrong. I have to do that every day. <laughs> right. you know, there's still, there's still like, you have to follow through with it, but when you're doing it, it shouldn't feel like pure work. It should, you should, your mind should be finding ways to enjoy it, but I, I don't really mean enjoy it. I mean, experience it. Yes. Like, and I think this is a very Eastern philosophy of it's in the doing. And I've watched a lot of documentaries and there's a great channel 11 documentary that was 
you know, 20 years ago called Creativity. And that's like a four or five part series that I recommend people check out because it's a, it's people from every discipline talking about the nature of creativity in their discipline and what it's about. And there's a nice mm-hmm. segment in there about Eastern philosophy. And that phrase has always stuck with me that, you know, it's a, a master and we, we've heard of these and maybe it's the, the sushi chef that has a documentary about him that it's just, he's just there and he's been making sushi for 60 years and every day he tries to do it and do it again better. And yeah. it's a practice, but it's because it's enjoyable for him and right. others. And there's dedication there and everything. But I think going back to what you said about we're impatient, maybe you could say not so much we get bored with things, but we fail to exp- continue to experience the progress when we think, I mean, I don't want to get started on this, but I think the whole thing comes back to our educational system and how we're yeah. educated. Yeah. We're educated in a textbook manner, which is the teacher knows the answer. Your job is to learn that technique with a well-defined problem, with well-defined tools to solve it. And if you get the answer, you're good. And if you don't get the answer, you're dumb. Right. And kids are embarrassed every day. They're shamed every day, even not, phys- you know, even not overtly, but inside. Sure. Because of that model, instead of it being a nurturing space, I mean, people are graded, people are ranked, people are tracked on different tracks because some of them are more academically excellent than others. And that defeats the whole purpose of what the system's for, right. which is to nurture kids in a joy of learning about the world, about being able to do things for themselves. Yep. And we've kind of turned it into this academic teach people from the head up, which isn't actually very well done. And so people say, I'm no good at math. I'm no good at geometry. But all of those things, once you're interested in them, yeah. once you're interested in them and you go and go, well, what was that about? Why didn't I pay attention in geometry? And you go back and you and you need it for building a boat, or you need it for your door frame, <laughs> your jam right. that's out of out of angles, and you're wondering why when I push this, that side goes that way, and how can I figure that out? You need geometry, and all of a sudden, it's relevant, and so you learn it a little bit, or you go, oh, that's why that is, <laughs> right? Right. So I think, you know, this feeling of inadequacy and frustration, it all stems from how people are educated, and that that if they don't know how to do something, they're not good. They don't know how to do it if they don't know how to do it. And uh, they get a bad grade and then they don't wanna do it. And they stay away from that feeling. And we take that into our adulthood where we can make choices about what we do. Right. And unfortunately those those scars are deep. But can people start getting back into a joy of doing? Yes. And learning. And that's, that's what I think drives our self-sufficiency is this joy in learning new things and the experience of doing it. Because I do, you know, the most exciting part for me is the learning of it right? and finally getting it, that little achievement. And I don't do Spartan races, but that's what <laughs> you guys do in your Spartan races. And I see the joy on Sarah's face when yes. the achievement happens. Yes. It's a true sense of enjoyment, but you continue, you can, you run another race, you continue to train. And once I figured out kombucha, I don't, I'm not as intense every day on top of it, 
but now I make it once a week, every other week. Right. Right. And that starts. And then you add this little piece to your life that you know how to do that. You can enjoy that. Every time you go to the store and the kombucha is three or $4 a bottle and you can make a gallon for 20 cents. That does matter. And especially if you come from a background of lesser means, uh, right. that's still, that still means something, even though now we have the means to buy our kombucha if we want to buy our kombucha. Yes. But it's a different meaning. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, everything you just said is, is a perfect segue into some of my thoughts. A lot of my professional research has been on, on, the, on habits and how the brain works and why we do what we do and why we struggle to make changes or to not make changes um, in either direction. So I tend to think very biologically, I tend to think very chemically. It's just right. just where my brain goes because of my education. But I guess where, where I'm going with that is, you know, habit change is very linked to the enjoyment system. And you said the word accomplished. You said the word enjoy. You said the word joy, you know, and, and you've right. been using these words pretty interchangeably as you've been speaking. Yeah. We talk about the struggle and just to compare self-sufficiency with exercise. We talk about the struggle of the, of the experience. And once you accomplish something, that dopamine hit that comes, the brain starts to associate these activities as one giant activity. You might do a million different things that are self-sufficient, but, it, but in the brain's mind, it's the same thing. You're, you're learning something new. And at some point you're going to accomplish it. X plus Y is going to give you a dopamine hit. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter if it doesn't happen tomorrow anymore. We've we've come into a point in society where our dopamine hits have to happen immediately or we don't like them. TV gives us an immediate one. Social media gives us an immediate one. Yeah, sex gives us an immediate one. Things like that are just immediate hits. So to learn longer-term dopamine hits have been proven to be very healthy for the brain and our system in terms of depression and mood uh-huh. um, and long-term chances of things like dementia and other brain disorders. Nice. So I guess in a long-winded way, what I'm getting into sure. is, you know, you started being self-sufficient at a young age out of necessity. You, it was almost a survival thing, but really what probably happened was you, you also learned to enjoy it from a chemical standpoint and that carried over in life. So at some point people just have to get through the first part of this. You have to do something and get through the first one, just like an exercise. If people start making it through a few workouts, Sierra told a story at the Spartan race last weekend that I think is relevant. She said that the first time she met with me and she's right. Her first goal was at some point I'm going to get older and I just want to make sure that I can get up and down off the ground. That was it. That was her main goal. It wasn't, I'm going to swing from monkey bars and run through 14 miles of trails in the blazing heat for four and a half hours. That was never a goal of Sierra's. But she got through some sessions, she got through some workouts and she achieved little workouts at a time. And then before you know it, she was going, Hey, do you think I could do one of those, one of those short races? Yeah, we could probably do one of the short ones. Let's start there. Now she has far surpassed me in terms of (laughs) her abilities on, on a, on a course, but she built up to that with small things. So that's right. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm listening to you talk about your path to it. And at some point you were trying little things. You were trying to be an, an entrepreneurship. You were trying to mow people's lawns. You're trying to build little chairs. And now that process has been ingrained in you in a way that is enjoyable for you, even not every step of the way, but now has actually helped you in terms of life, right? Because you get to do more at home and you probably do save money on certain things. And I I think the link was important. I think it's, it's interesting. It's fascinating. I think it's, yeah, that's a new insight for me in terms of why I did it as a kid 
that I was probably I was getting the joy from learning how to do it when other things in my life weren't so you know rosy. <laughs> right. And yeah, that probably developed a little a little inclination towards something, a little hit. Actually, one other thing I I think of is you. We also get joy from sharing those things with others, right? Yes. And so there's a social dimension to it that I think is not all individual because we truly, I mean, we truly love sharing our bounty from our garden with others, giving people kombucha or whatever, like it's Sarah bakes and every year and she's baking and giving things away or she brings stuff to the gym. Yeah. When we share and people are like, oh my God, that's so good. You know, that there's a lot of dopamine going there and validation of that effort. So there's also a, there's a, yeah. And then of course, when you're, when you're taking care of your health, people notice, and that's also self-reinforcing or good dopamine hits. And so I think that's a real insight, but I think it, I will come down to this notion of how do people start? How do they get their, cause it's a mindset. How do they get, how do you teach yourself? I don't know. It's not really teaching yourself. How do you just enjoy the simple things? Actually, this is, this is, you know, one of the, the, I'm just thinking out loud. So but yeah, no, get, keep relevant it, or not, but keep one, of the, rolling, eh? one of the ways I started working out more consistently was because I discovered functional training and it started because my knees were really bad. My hips, everything had atrophied in my professional work. Cause I'm at the desk all day and never worked out. And I wasn't, you know, terribly overweight or anything like that, but the body wasn't, I mean, I had to hop a little bit up the stairs and stuff like that. And so my knees were really starting to trouble me. And so I had some PT, physical therapy. And what was fascinating about physical therapy was the exertion, and I equated that with the work of working out, the difficulty of working out. Physical therapy was completely different. It was the movement yeah, and targeting specific things and realizing that muscles that aren't actually even firing. <laughs> so let's get that muscle to fire. Like they would have me hold my leg somewhere and they're like, okay, now, you know, um, engage your glute. And I'm like, I can't when my leg's there. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> you know, you, so it just stopped working. And so we started with, I would go in there and I would enjoy it. Cause I would do these movements and, you know, three or four times into it. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I'm starting to engage that muscle at that point now where before I wasn't, which is why I had trouble walking upstairs or I had to jump a little bit because my glute wasn't engaging in that extended region or whatever it is. And of course, now this is where the the true Chris comes out in PT. I'm asking all these questions to the, to the, to learn about it. Right. And I learned so much about physiology or my body or my mechanical system. It wasn't hard work. It was interesting work. And so I would go because I'm fascinated with like, what movement are you going to have me do? That's basically easy to do. That's improving my health. Yeah. Like that's crazy to me. And so learning the efficiency of it was really fascinating to me because it's completely different than the he-ho, <laughs> the Hebro world of workouts that everybody yeah. thinks you have to do like crunches and sh- and right. <sighs> you know, it's not anything about that. It doesn't have to be anything about that. That's right. a 
microcosm of the of the yes. exercise world. And so when I started, so I started functional training. And I will add one more thing. I get as a designer and engineer, and this relates to self-sufficiency, when you get more bang for your buck than you thought, that's when you get an efficiency out of something, that's a really, that's, I also get dopamine hits from that. I'm like, yeah. that really works. And so that's why I do kettlebells. Cause I feel like for the effort I put into kettlebells and the interesting dynamic movements, I get, my body gets so much from it. So that little for a lot is a, is a thing that I also enjoy and like, and seek as a designer and a engineer. So, you know, that goes, that's why I bought a mini as my first new car ever, because I was like, that is fun. It's interesting. I get, you get a lot of bang for your buck. That's a, that's the nicest car I ever owned. It was a BMW underneath, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it was inexpensive at the beginning to fix. Um, they're far different now. I think. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of a theme throughout it. it I, I, well, I, I know, of course, of course, I love the linked exercise because it's what I do every day for a living, but, <laughs> but, but it is, I mean, the change, same thing. And, and I actually do, I have, I have, you, you mentioned getting started and how does one start the, those lessons? And I have, I have my own kind of theory, I guess not, maybe it's not my own theory, but theories that coupling other people's theories, people need what I've, what I now historically on this podcast call the punch in the face. Most people need a reason to start doing something and the health side of it. It's a personal health scare. It's a health scare of someone close to you, or it's hopefully more what you experience where you listen to red flags early, your, your knees just didn't feel, you just didn't feel right. And you, and that was enough, thankfully for you to be like, that's alarming enough now to go seek out an answer where some people would say, I feel it, but whatever, you know, it's just normal. I'm just aging. I'll wait 20 more years until I have a hip replacement before I start realizing, oh, maybe I should start making some changes or we see someone else make a change. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think for me, me wanting to be more self-sufficient came from meeting you and Sarah. So that was my positive punch in the face, you know, where I, I had a reason to say, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know I wanted that. Right. And then I actually, well, there's a great, and I'm going to forget the name now. There's a great um, documentary on Netflix about minimalism. Mm-hmm. That was only a couple of years old, I think, if that. Yeah. But that one too, you know, just the idea of living with less and living more efficiently, living more cleanly. I think it's just, it's so fascinating. So, but I think people have to have that, right? Otherwise you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't, what you know, what you needed, even though it wasn't a part of your life yet. So yeah, so I know, please. For me, the, so there's, and you already mentioned it, but there's another, the way you initially set it up, I think it's kind of true, but we have to ask, why is that true? So people need a punch in the face or a trigger moment of some sort, or, you know, a crisis. But I think that's the, so why is that? Why is that? And I would argue just, I would, it's a hypothesis, but it's because our experiences with the thing that addresses that in the past have not been good, interesting, sustainable, right? They have all these other characteristics. So do I go to a gym and feel embarrassed? Do I go to a gym and feel like I'm totally behind because of how everybody's talking about it? Do I, and I'm using exercise, but, um, it's obviously it's relevant, 
but do I go to the doctor? No, I hate going to the doctor. Do I go to the dentist? No, I hate going to the dentist because the experience is, and I'm not equating doctor and dentist with the it's gym, negative. which is a far, the gym is a far better health care system than yes. the sick care system we have. Don't get me started on that. Amen. And <laughs> another episode. Another episode. <laughs> Doctors don't know about nutrition. They don't know about your mechanics. They know right. how to go and fix things that are wrong. Actually, right. they don't fix things that are wrong. They do procedures on you that doesn't actually fix it. Okay, anyway. <laughs> uh, so, but what are, we, what are we saying there? It's gotten to a point where there's these trigger moments, but my my true trigger moment wasn't my knees getting really bad. The true trigger moment was the time I spent with the physical therapist that turned a light bulb, the positive experience of realizing the world didn't have to be, the exercise world didn't have to be the way I thought it was. Yeah. And that I can be focusing on movement, which I love. I do, I did karate. And the reason I did karate is the respect for the martial arts and the understanding that art. I think, you know, fitness can be the same thing for people. Again, this is, and maybe this is a lesson coming out of this. Self-sufficiency is about finding the interesting things about a new area and trying it. Right. And realizing like, wow, I get some benefit from that. Or that was interesting or whatever. I want to accomplish something. And so my, my trigger moment was the physical therapist, because if that didn't work well, I would have been another five years. My knees would get bad again. Right. But that, that enlightened me in a way that I found super interesting. And then I wanted to pursue it and learn like different movements that were efficient and helping my body that weren't about being a, a gym jock. Right. Right. It's just super interesting. Yes. And then well, I could share that. Yeah. And for me, the social side of it is I can share that without, I start talking about, it. I start telling people at work, like, have you ever done kettlebells? Like, <laughs> do you know right. what they are? No, what are those? Or, you know, other people will be like, oh no, I hear kettlebells are really dangerous. They hurt your back. And I was like, well, not when you do the movements properly, right? right. All this kind of stuff. So right. I love that notion of a triggering moment, but I also love the notion of professions like fitness, professions like healthcare, anything where, uh, uh, either restaurants or uh, grocery stores, doing things that help people learn yes. the more interesting aspects of not eat your vegetables. It's like, did you, you know, let's do a, a umami vegetable challenge this week, which is we're gonna eat vegetables the whole week, still get our protein, but we're gonna show you how delicious they can be not prepared, always just boiled and put plopped on a plate with salt and pepper. Yes, <laughs> but right. actually, so, that intrigues the mind. It gives somebody a little goal. You learn, and then maybe you get enough of those dopamine hits and interest in it to add more vegetables over time. Yes. Um, and just one real life specific is, you know, every morning pretty much, I'm eating six to eight leaves of kale, high an antioxidant blueberries and or aronia berries from our own bush, mm -hmm. plus some protein powders and stuff like that. But a smoothie, spirulina like it's so easy to make that smoothie now for me and it's so nutrient dense no fat that's how i start my day and now if i don't have it like if i if i'm traveling or i have a bagel i said oh, this morning i'm gonna have a bagel by 11 o'clock i'm making one of those smoothies because my body <laughs> craves feels it the nutrients from that yeah. uh smoothie that i have every day yeah 
Well, we can, and that could be a whole other conversation too. Is <laughs> there's the gut microbiome and and how that and how that also learns and yes. and that adapts too. Going back to your experience, I love your point about experience in general. I think for you specifically, it was a twofold thing. Where one, you ran into a good physical therapist, right? Your educational moment came from the right person who introduced things the right way, and then the, the then the back half is your predisposition to being a self-sufficient person clicked in. And that was a perfect marriage of you got taught by the right person and you're the type of person that will say, okay, great. Now that I learned this from the right person, I'm going to take it into my own hands and go find a good personal trainer and continue the path. Yeah. But I think some people, it can go both ways. Some people might have your predisposition for self-sufficiency, but run into a bad experience. Now that causes mm -hmm. a negative dopamine hit and they don't want to go back. That's or right. you run into a good physical therapist, but there's still a person that says, I really don't care. I just want you to just fix me. I want to be fixed. I don't want to go through the process. This, you know, but this is, this goes all the way back to our first topic, which is being interested in things. Yes. And so I would, I would state that I don't have a predisposition to self-sufficiency. I have a predisposition to understand what right. is happening. Right. And so, you know, the physical therapist, and I'm very thankful if I got a, you know, a good one to start out. And I think she was awesome. And probably that's because I immediately start asking questions. Right. And I think most people will sit there and they'll get the manipulations and stuff. And they think it's beyond their ability to understand what's going on because that's a certified licensed person. Right. And I just start asking questions. I'm like, now, why did you, why do you do it that way? Which, what thing is that doing? Oh, well, you have actually four muscles here that are working together. And this one works in extension. And this one works in other fancy term. I was like, what does that fancy term mean? Oh, right. well, it's just, it's just a fancy term for this. And I'm like, oh, okay. I encourage everybody <laughs> to be more like that. And right. you could say, oh, I'm not a social person or blah, blah, blah. Um, and when my kids were young and they would see me asking questions, be like, dad, stop, don't stop asking all those questions. Well, that changed at some point. And now they're asking questions of people. Awesome. And you have to realize it's, it's great for the other person too. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. They were happy to, they're, they love it when they get a patient or a client and they're like, why is this like this? Why is that like that? I mean, you're not like, I really shouldn't tell you that. Otherwise you will be certified as a fitness trainer. Like that's not what it is. It's like, Oh, I'm so happy you're interested in that. Let yes. me tell you how that works. And then you build a relationship and you learn and you get better and you can progress to other places because you understand what's going on. If you block all that out, you know, if you don't care about it and I, I hate the word care, I do think it's people feel that they can't know about it or they, yes, shouldn't know about it or it's too complicated because the school system has told us most things are too complicated to learn. And so that's the core of it is starting to ask questions when you're exposed and that, that I don't care where I'm at the dentist, I'm asking questions. I'm at the, you know, the car shop, I'm asking questions. It's embrace your, the permission you have to learn about the world. Yes. Cause it just comes from questions. Nobody, we don't, I don't know everything, but right. if I ask questions, I'll know a little bit more. Yeah, I, I I love that point. And I, I completely and I, I appreciate you stepping in because that is where I wanted to take that point was 
asking questions fuels it and I, and people should yeah. just ask more. And, and that's a good example about people want to share their professions. That's yes. where, that's where me and Sierra really got along early. And that's where every, every client I've had long-term has shared that trait to where we, 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 it becomes a shared interaction versus I'm coming here. So you make me lose weight and you maybe get stronger, but it's, but it's the professional doing the work. I've always related better to people who want to share the experience and want to understand. You know me enough by now. I've, I've built now my business around it. I have, I have 103 members in this gym who enjoy nice. the process. Uh-huh. You know, and, and they're, and they do. And that's why though, because we set that expectation early and we, we almost force them to ask questions early. Like we just put well, them in a position yeah. for it. I mean, again, I find your language interesting because there's so much mindset of resistance built into the fitness industry. Right. We almost force them. Uh, we've laid down the rules that you have. To, <laughs> right. Yeah. Think about what you're, what you can <clears throat> do. And I mean, this might just think about what you can do is you can foster I always think of it as nurturing and fostering yeah. that culture. Like at Gravity Tank, the company we built, we didn't force anybody right. to do the social things, but we set the conditions by which it happened. So yeah. consider, <laughs> right. I mean, I've been at Equinox for a while and having a couple different trainers there. I'm surprised that trainers aren't more expressive of what's happening and getting reeling, reeling the client into the joy of understanding. So right now, if you're curious why we're doing this, you actually have these four muscles in that one thing. You could just, you could not wait for a question. You can actually share more about what's happening in a empathetic way, yes. in a dumbed down way. Now, this is the other thing about most professions is you've built your reputation based on higher and higher knowledge and being more and more sophisticated. Right. And this is a problem because when you talk like that to your clients who don't care about the science, they don't care about the technical terms. They care right. about the real things in their body that experts haven't named. Cause I have them, even though I use a different name for them, I don't have to use the right name to know that <laughs> there's a muscle there that hurts. Yes. Um, and right. so think about fitness trainers, being more with and curious and helpful yes. to their clients in the process versus kind of just taking them through the, oh, yes. nobody asked questions, so I'm not going to share anything with them. And again, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but knowing that there is this possibility of creating conditions in any business or situation to help your customer better understand. I mean, yes. again, relating it back to exactly what we did at Gravity Tank is, we involved our client throughout the process and f forced them, huh? <laughs> <laughs> invited, invited them and made them part of the process. And so by the end, you know, there's terms in, in business, like we got to get buy-in, right? Better make a good presentation. So we have buy-in, <clears throat> you don't get buy-in through presentation. You get buy-in through collaboration and, right asking and answering questions with each other and seeing opportunities for change together. Right. And then all of a sudden at the end of the journey, you're like, we did this together. And this, this solution is ours is mine is yours is we both feel proud of it. Right. I think that's part of the maybe cultivating self-sufficiency in others, not by overtly, this is a whole nother lesson, <laughs> not by overtly <laughs> suggesting they become self-sufficient, but right. just, doing the things that create the conditions yes. for it.
Well, and I, and I, and again, I, and I appreciate your, cause you're right. I, the, I don't, sometimes I don't realize the verbiage I use, but nurturing oh, any of us, any of us. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right though. Nurturing leading to these are, these are aspects that we, we really strive to do here, right. you know, provide information is probably a good one. You know, it's in and maybe, and maybe my old self before this, you know, 10 seconds ago would have said force feed, but you know, <laughs> right. but the truth, I, I remember that comes in, gets a packet. Hey, here's some, maybe here's some stuff maybe you haven't thought about yet, but Hey, here's some nutrition. You're, you're asking me for exercise, but just so you know, sleep's important. Here's some information on it. It's just available. You don't have to read this packet if you don't want to, but it's there. And like, we start plugging things early to start leading people down a certain path so that when it's time, when they're ready to accept their information and we're ready to start linking things together, because the, the opportunities arise, right? And, right. and I promise people will lead back to the stuff specifically, what? but the, but the opportunity will arise. Someone will come in and say, my energy still isn't good. Oh, but you're exercising six days a week or three days a week, whatever it might be. You're hitting right. your exercise goal. My energy still isn't good. Oh, great. Have you also started thinking about this? Oh no, I haven't right. yet. Should I be? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to that packet we had and that information start working on, on these things that we had there. Right. So right. Yeah. I think, Yes. Being more, this is part of being self-sufficient is realizing that most things are a system. They're not one thing. And so self-sufficiency recognizes that the whole notion I'm into permaculture. Permaculture is about working the land, not in a traditional farming sense where you have isolated crops and which has become big ag and monocultures, right. but you create an ecosystem. You can create an ecosystem, even in a small property when you do plantings of things that benefit each other, you know, you create, you actually create what are called swales or, or land features that retain the water on your property and don't let it run, run off, which mm -hmm. nourishes it. You know, you think of everything in terms of cycles. These are all sy systems principles. And I think sure. self-sufficiency is open to this notion of systems thinking. And so when you talk about having a packet, that's like, you know, exercise is one thing, nutrition, sleep, right. mental health. These are all, these all work together. Yes. Yes. And how can we be curious about them and do, and I've always said this, this is something that I feel our business was based on. The whole world is obsessed with, well, not anymore, is <laughs> obsessed with experts or deep expertise. Right. And yet most people only don't even scratch the surface because they think it's all about having the deep expertise. But what I believe right. is if you do a little bit, just a little bit each time in each area versus the best thing you could do in one area, right. you're going to be, so think about that, right? I believe that if I do a little bit of better on sleeping, a tiny bit better on nutrition and a tiny bit better in exercising, it's going to be better than if I went all in on nutrition. Right. And then I'm going to build on that and, yes. you know, deepen it little by little in the areas and see how they, and so I think that, I mean, that should be a, that should be very interesting to people again, because if we're lazier or we don't want to be bothered, et cetera, yes. that if, if I just do a little bit in different things versus a lot in one, which always seems like too much, mm -hmm. I could be better off. And yes. so that little for more. Again, there's that principle of interesting how that works, right? Because you're addressing more systems that can kind of start working together yes. uh, to get the bigger bang for your buck. <laughs> no, no, I like that. You know, we have, I have a bucket analogy I use. And while I realize a 
buckets are individual pieces. The analogy is about not having, not only filling one bucket. Uh-huh. Yeah. That if we exactly. don't, that, and, and the same actually almost worked for what you just said, five quarter filled buckets are better than one full bucket. Yeah. There you go. And you're right. Cause yeah. if I start touching on each, everything starts growing. But if I don't grow one at all, if there's no seeds at all in one bucket, nothing's going to grow my sleep bucket. Yeah. And eventually it's going to slow down the fill of the rest of my buckets. 100%. So, um, 100%. so I love that. I want to tan, I want to segue a little bit here. If you don't mind, I want to go, I want to take it back to, I guess, a little more logistical standpoint. So for a lot of the listeners who let's say are going to take this episode and now start doing something more, I want to first talk about time. So when you and Sierra were building your company, I assume just like I'm going through right, right this second, I assume you're both very busy and probably putting a lot into, from a time standpoint, putting a lot into building Gravity Tank. Yep. Did you find yourself slowing down on some of the outside activities? Did you find that you weren't doing as much on the, the quote unquote self-sufficiency side, the, the do-it-yourself home exercises that maybe you would normally do? Did that take a hit? And I guess where, I'm, where I want this to lead to is how do people efficiently start working self-sufficiency in to what might be a currently, in, especially in their brain, a very busy, hectic time? I'm so happy we're on this subject now. <laughs> awesome. So I have so many thoughts about it. The main one being the self-sufficiency maybe was different in proportion or character, but let me, the true answer is no. <laughs> That's the true answer. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So why is that? Well, part of it is because building your own company is part of your self-sufficiency mindset. But we built the company with our values, which meant there was a kitchen, there was a workshop. And what did we do? Well, we cooked lunches for staff. We would have parties and we had everything there. We had there to do it ourselves, if you will. We had experiments going in the office. We had a nursery when our uh, child was born and our partner's child was born and they, we hired a, a combined nanny, shared and cordoned off a little area of the office as a nursery and made that part of the business. Cool. So the principle here is, and Sarah has this quote somewhere hanging all the time, and I forget who it, who said it, but it's something like, make no distinction between work and play because blah, 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 that goes on or something. Right. But we've, that's what we live by, which means if you feel you have truly two worlds, like I have to, and you put this in one of the, our prior conversations or questions, it's like, did you do these things as a break from your business? Right? Right. And hundred percent no, because the mentality, the values are built into the business too, because they're of value. Um, they're of value as demonstrations or uh, examples to the staff. They were, you know, again, the same, the same thing that you uh, said earlier, like I'm blown away by how much you guys do for yourselves. Uh, our staff would say that, right? Mm -hmm. Staff would say, I'm blown away by how much you guys do. Now, at some point that became when traditional mindsets as our business grew and traditional mindsets of 
business is serious work and we get we need to get serious around here. This isn't just a mom and pop uh, business. You started to have, we started a question like, oh, do we have, do we need to get serious or and manage this place like a business? Um, and every time we thought that way and started implementing something like that, things got worse. <laughs> right. And so the, and we, and we have a term called managementism, managementism, okay. okay. as well as playing office. These terms are about thinking that any given world you're a part of has to be a certain way because that's how things are. Right. So when you're starting your business, you have to be only work, sacrificing everything in the home life because you're building your business. Now, I'm not going to say that, like I said, the proportions weren't different, but of course, my wife and I were partners in our own business. And I did travel and I did travel, you know, full disclosure, I traveled probably the week I went to Japan, I believe, the week or second week after my son was born. Okay. So is that sacrifice? It never felt that way to us, of course, because Sarah is so self-sufficient. <laughs> but <laughs> right. we kind of we kind of made a pact right. that we're going to be on this journey together and that what each other needs to do or can do or I don't know. It's always been yeah. fairly balanced, but it requires both of us to not feel like we're keeping score of who's getting more than the other about what. And we saw that in some of our staff who had spouses at home and they would call and say, when are you coming home and blah, blah, blah. And, and that we always tried to say, look, and I, we tried to build the business that it is not about working harder. In fact, when I first founded the company, design was known as, and maybe we're getting off too far, but it, this is still about self-sufficiency. Yeah. <laughs> design, design was known for all-nighters and designers getting paid very little right. and working around the clock because you got the, the final specs at the end and by the next day you needed to have a beautiful presentation. And so there was this horrible dysfunction in the, in the design world that I said, we're not doing that. We are professionals. We will work mostly eight to five or eight to six like other people. And if you still enjoy it, and if you're into it, because sometimes you just want to continue to make that model in the shop right. and not shut it all down, right? then then it's fine to stay. But it is not expected that we need to plan our projects. We need to plan everything so that, and we need to be clear with the clients that if you, you know, if you dump something on us at the end, it's either going to be way more money to get it done by the same time frame, or we're going to shift the time frame or it's going to be a crappy, it's going to be cheap and crappy. Yeah. And you're not going to like the the final result because you're springing something at the last minute. So right. you kind of have to be, maybe that's a long-winded way of saying, you not only have to have an inclination towards self-sufficiency, but you have to build it into the things you do because that's who you are. And if you constantly allow it to be other, to be something I want to get to, you'll never get to it. And you will know this about habits or whatever. (laughs) If it's something else that you're hoping to do and people, this is probably something that is a whole nother topic that, that people choose to do with the, with their time, what they choose to do. And it is not actually external. You say yes to things. So you have to get much more serious Mm-hmm. about choosing to do things that will come to give you joy and define how you're going to practice professionally, how you're going to live your life and say, I am doing this. And this, this, this takes getting over societal norms and conventions 
which I've built a whole career on breaking convention. <laughs> right. uh, I love doing that because people don't stop to think like, why? And if I did it the other way, you know, fear, fear of failure, fear of it not working the first time, all of those things keep you from doing it. Right. But as soon as you make the choice that I'm going to do it and be engaged in the experience, I'm going to share what I learned when I quote fail, which is not failing. It's just not getting it right the first time or learning. Right. If you have that mentality, you can start to choose to do things in a way that you do them. You know, our consulting company never, most consultants, any, the, the top tier firms, they have young, smart consultants. They leave on Monday morning, they go to the client, work inside the client and come back on Thursday night. That's a horrible life. Right. <laughs> I mean, whatever people choose to do what they want to do and you sure. learn a lot and you learn a lot about business, but there's this weird thing. I mean, we never did that. We, we would travel for meetings for the clients, but we wouldn't go and work in their building with them because they didn't have the tools. And we built our office that was clearly different. If our office looked like a bunch of cubicles, then why couldn't we just, just as well be at the client for four days a week. But we had, we were building prototypes and multimedia shows and physical things. And you couldn't do that. And the client wanted to come to our place. I want to be in your space because I feel like I can have ideas here. And, that. and so what's the point? The point is you live it. Just like what you just said, if you want a culture at Mar of learning and self-sufficiency, then you have to live it. You have to do the things. You can't right. make other people do them. Right. Oneself needs to 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 demonstrate it and to be it and to encourage it and not to you know discourage it so yeah uh, it's part of how you live uh, yeah why well, so i and not to oversimplify but you know you and Sirovs did a great job of integrating what was important to you from the start you didn't allow it to be something that you were going to put aside and come back to which i think is a again, an oversimplification of a, of a mistake many of us make. And to use myself as, as the other side, as a, as a negative, example. Ex negative yeah. example, I had my first son months before opening this. I'm sorry. I, that's not my, my first car. Well, yes. Months before starting to open this business. Yeah. And then Carter was born a month before we launched. <laughs> so I am an example of someone who justified, allowed myself to put my own health aside and, and all aspects of it. I slept less. I ate poorly. I wasn't working out as much, even though I've, I was in a gym 16, 17 hours a day, right. which, which I've been doing for over a decade. Uh -huh. But for the most part, I love it. Like you said, I don't, I don't live in a gym because of it, but for a short period of time, I allowed myself to get away from my positive habits because I justified a greater means, but really what I should have done is, is really put a foot down and doing a better job of integrating what was important to me and should have been important to me, both from a personal mood standpoint, enjoyment standpoint, and a health standpoint from the start. And if I did that, I wouldn't have had what became a long couple years stretch of slowly gaining weight, slowly losing mm -hmm. my health, feeling less energy. And for a while, and this is thankfully, knock on wood, something I, I, I feel I've, I've, now have a good grasp on, but for a while, really then started to affect the business because I'm tired. Right. I'm exhausted. Yeah. I, you know, so I, I just, I didn't do a good job at the beginning. And I, you know, I don't, not that I don't believe in regrets. I, I mean, regret is a thing, but 
I believe in, in taking lessons from everything we yeah, do. And, I, and I've always had that mentality. If, if there's something I could do differently though, that would have been it. I would have put my foot down and had, and kept a little more control over certain things from the very beginning. Yeah. And that would have been easier yeah. to sustain it that way. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's difficult, obviously. Uh, all those things are happening really fast. And again, right. the conventional thinking we have is that this is probably what's going to happen because I, I can't keep up with it at all, or I can't spend the t blah, blah, blah. But there is, there is wisdom and I will call it wisdom in knowing that, and I learned this from the, it's funny. I learned this from the content marketing people, the online entrepreneur people, you know, being in that experience, staying in that experience, that is my son's being born. I'm opening a business. It's all about health and other people go. So the, here's the insight. Other people are going through, go through this too. Right. What can I learn and share in our marketing materials, in the online and social media that, you know, you don't think about it this overtly, but the reality is any, if you were sharing those moments and the, the struggle, the laughs, the, you know, the laughs that are kind of like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this, you know, yeah. where it's true emotion and your actual experience of it. And you're sharing those with people. It's going to attract. It's so authentic. And it's so, and so you're, you know, falling off the wagon is kind of in a way masking the reality of it. Right. Um, Cause it, it masks right. that you actually do take mm -hmm. care of your health and you care about nutrition and it masks. Yes. And so, what I learned from, and I continue to learn as I watch, you know, new entrepreneurs come online and stuff, like people are starting businesses on the basis of them sharing them starting a business, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So they just go, okay, I'm up for this challenge. Day one, here's what I'm doing. It's kind of like reality TV in a good way because so many people can relate to what's happening to them. And so they start following them and then they get excited about what they're doing and then they eventually buy their product. And because right. it's, it's been an experience with them. So, you know, hindsight, if, if there could have been some more of actual sharing and expression of what you were quote going through, what you were experiencing, because it was amazing amount of stuff. People would yep. be like, just like doing the Spartan race on Saturday. People were like, man, Mike is so inspiring. Look at what he's doing and sharing it with us. And that, you know, that's, that's right. where the value is. And again, everything in society and our own minds work against believing that staying with it is possible because I'm sacrificing something like the business won't get off the ground or I'm not doing that, whatever, like, or yes. I'm not taking, it's like, there's so much self-talk in yeah. all of that, that, that leads to behavior. Right. Absolutely. You're right. It's, it's this badge of honor sometimes that we wear on the sacrifice side. Yes. We, we start using it as a, I don't sleep. I'm proud of it. I'm proud yeah. that I am sacrificing my yeah. sleep and I sacrifice my health all the time for the greater good. I'm not sure why that became a prideful badge at some point, 100%. but it did. And again, I am, I'm the first to admit that for the first 10 years of my career, I wore that badge yeah. terribly proudly of, yeah. of how much I worked. And and, and I've, I've learned, and again, self-sufficiency and efficiency, I think are, are hopefully, you know, somewhat cohesive. You yeah. know, I, I've learned that I'm getting just as much done by becoming a more efficient person in my work as I ever did being this overachieving, accumulate hours 
type of person. Yeah. The, the, the overachieving is really a misnomer. (laughs) It's right. Uh, it's really, and, and yes, this is something that we have to root out in, uh, our conceptions of what work is about, of what being a professional is about, Mm -hmm. um, this, I'm getting three hours of sleep. Aren't I the great entrepreneur? Nope, you're not. Nope. That's a, that's a legacy of thinking that, you know, corporations are still engaged in with people competing on the corporate ladder and that has to be rooted out. I mean, that's, that's the basis of my uh, platform, abundant professional, abundant professional is all about working and seeing professional work as a learning, growing relationship, building value, creating activity that isn't dependent on sacrifice. And awesome. that's, that sounds horrible to people, maybe, <laughs> in terms of, oh, it's just, again, it's so quick. The counter argument is like, it's so quick. Like, oh, you just want to go to, you're a millennial, you want to go to business and not have any responsibilities. That's, people, people love responsibility. People love real work. People love authentic right. work. Yep. People love learning something and trying something with a client that they've never tried before. Like people are passionate about that. What they hate is rote fake work <laughs> yeah. that, that they get paid a lot for to, to shut up and just do whatever, whatever motions they're going through to keep the, the thing going. Right. And they're not, they're not growing. They're not, you know, they might be growing in their salary and think, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a world that we need to, put aside because there's so much more growth and opportunity when you embrace a different perspective on how you live your life, how you do your work. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, I, cause I, I love it. If we could spend a little time now, you know, I, and I love, I love the the path we've gone on this. It's, we've got a lot of takeaways here. I'd like to get specific and maybe we can spend the rest of our, our time here and I'm keeping an eye on the yeah. clock. <laughs> um, I'd like to get specific on, on at least a couple Thing, you know, so self-sufficiency, if, you know, if I think about the things yep. I'm, if I'm going to be selfish here and help myself a little bit, but hopefully, yep. hopefully things that other 100%. people have shared interest in, I don't know the first thing my wife and I have been thinking about getting into like, just, just gardening at home. We'd enjoy yep. to have some things. So, and first bought pretty much this machine that you put the seeds in for basil and, and it's, it's this big, it's, it's, you know, yep. and, and I'm holding yep. up a 16 inch, maybe thing. It really does everything for you. It does. It tells. Right. It tells you exactly how much water to put in, and as long as you do it, it the plants grow, and it's great. But I still feel like the machine is doing the work. I, I bought her this rack in the outside to actually start doing some gardening stuff. So uh-huh. nice. I realize that the internet is here, and I can YouTube, and I can watch videos, and I can do things. But as someone that does this very successfully. If I am, where am I going to start? If my, where's my start on actually doing maybe some making my own or growing some of my own vegetables at home? Okay. So first of all, YouTube is great. Yeah. But my first question to you is what vegetables, vegetable or vegetables are you interested in that you like to eat that you would be amazed if you grew some that uh, you were proud of? Yeah. Well, so I have two answers. Okay. (laughs) I, my uh, tomatoes, my grandparents always had tomatoes. There is a personal connection with the tomato plants that always had in the backyard. Love it. I also like to grow things that I feel like I'm actually going to get like blueberries. I can't like, I, we tried that one time and I got seven blueberries hard and it didn't, (laughs) they're hard. They take take time. Yeah. So I want to be efficient with the two, I guess. So my wife loves basil. 
And I would say tomatoes if I'm going to answer for both my wife and I. That's awesome because you got bruschetta and you got all sorts of things Ton, to do, yes. with, to do with that. Pesto. Um, pesto. pesto yeah. Yes. Awesome. And basil grows like a weed. So if you can't grow basil, you're a complete failure. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. <laughs> got it. Not at all. So this is great. I will disclose that this was the first summer where I intentionally got into growing tomatoes. Okay. So... I think it's really important to have things you want to grow. And so now I would, I, not I would, I did. When I wanted to grow tomatoes this year, I went and watched four or five how to grow tomatoes uh, videos. Just, and this is part of, part of what I do well is fast learning. Not like, oh, this is so over, over, overwhelming. I will watch four or five different videos at one and a half speed. So, okay. Make sure you're using YouTube efficiently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because some people talk slow and you, you speed it up to one and a half or two times and you can make it out no problem. So that's okay. trick number one. But okay. what you have to equip your mind and you have to equip it with different points of view. I wouldn't watch one video and follow one person's instructions Yeah. because if you watch five on one and a half speed, then, you, then your brain, which works as a network, not as a fact filer, it actually needs four different views of something to start to make sense of what it is. Okay. And this is important principle. So I watch, watch a few tomato videos. Find out the one that intrigues you or is inspired or you kind of smile and you're like, oh, that's a really interesting thing. So this year, so a couple things. I pull this all together. Our friend has been growing his heirloom tomatoes every year and giving us one, bringing over like two pound tomatoes that just make the best sandwiches. And so this year we're like, can we borrow some seeds and we'll get some starts and we'll give you some starts. And so we went crazy this year, or I went crazy this year. I made paper pots and this might, hopefully this isn't overwhelming to people, but paper <laughs> pots is a self-sufficient idea, which is you just take some newspaper, wrap it around a wine bottle or a can and you just, crinkle it in a certain way. You take it off and fill it with potting soil and you have a pot that yeah. you can put in a tray. And so all of a sudden it's not like, it, and it's, it's very healthy for the plant to be in that paper pot because the roots can start cutting through the paper and not get trapped in there and start to bind already. So it's just okay. healthier. Okay. I planted way more. So seeds are cheap in the big picture. Potting soil is cheap in the big picture. So plant double what you think you need okay. at the seedling stage. And again, just I can offline, we can go through more specifics. Yes, yes, yes. I yes, found yeah. a potting, you know, I bought just a big thing of potting soil. That's a good potting mix, not the commercial super industrial ones, but just a decent organic one. Filled those up. I got a couple grow lights to make sure because we're starting early in Chicago, right? So I needed some grow lights. Now, at this stage, you could actually go throw some seeds in your garden right now and maybe get some kale plants before, as winter approaches. Okay. You, so you could you could get some kale, probably, you could probably get some basil still. I don't know how long basil seedlings take. But anyway, that point being, hopefully this isn't rambling too much, that point being, oh. do some experiments that are no effort whatsoever. So okay. go throw some decent potting soil in that place in your backyard right now that gets some sun still, or will continue to get sun for the next month or two, and just throw some seeds in there 
and try to remember to keep them moist and see what happens and totally expect to get nothing and enjoy what happens. So maybe the seedlings make it to this size and they never produce anything. Maybe you get a lot and all of a sudden you clip some one evening and throw it in microgreens in your salad and just go, hey, this came from our garden, right? And, right. and it's more surprising mm -hmm. than it is anything else just because you don't care what happens. So that those are some experiments you can do right now because there's there should always be throwaway efforts in a sense yeah. that you're not pinning your whole hopes and dreams on. Now, the next year when you start your tomato plants, start more than you think that you need. Plant a variety that you're interested in. So the heirlooms are perfect. Like, I want to get some of those. And your your brain will be very good at this. And it's exactly what you do in fitness. It's like the, the big breakthrough I made this year is just a little bit more of understanding the nutrients. Right. The nutrient needs of our beds. And I got some organic sustained fertilizer. So it's, you know, it's chicken feathers and a couple other organic things. And I just made sure I replenished all my beds that we've been growing in for four years with that. And that made a huge difference. Okay. <laughs> so make sure nutrients in the soil has the basics and, you know, maybe spend a little more money in the beginning to get the good organic stuff. Don't overdo it, but make sure it's there for the plants to take advantage of. Cause I do think that that is one of my failures over the years is not understanding soil nutrients as much. Okay. But then it's, then it's a matter of enjoying the experience. And what does that mean? You pay attention and you can't be, you can't be worried about. So when you come home from work, go over to the rack and just look at them and what are they doing? Do they need more water? I don't know. I can't like, even when we were growing our tomatoes, seedlings, there's all these questions in your brain. It's trying to learn. It's trying to know how it works. Yeah. I don't know if they're too wet. You know, some of them got too wet and they started to have mushrooms growing out of it. It's like, okay. well, look at that. It's really, so that's a moist environment. We know mushrooms growing. So you're paying attention. Yeah. And then when the, the online uh, schedule that says, when can you plant in zone 5A that we're in here? Then it, you try to time it six weeks before you start your seedlings. You hope weather, you know, there's a lot of variables. Yeah. You yeah. hope the weather, and then you go plant them and you plant more than you think you need. There's a, there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's yeah. a system here because all of a sudden the freeze happens or you plant half of them now, half of more than you need, and then half of more than you need two weeks later. Okay. And you'll see differences there. So this is all, what am I really saying? I'm saying inform yourself, follow the process, pay attention. Yes. Do some experiments. <clears throat> yeah. And unfortunately, when growing, until you become an indoor hydroponic person like I also am, it's one growing season per year, right? And so that, right. that teaches patience as well. Like I'm going to learn over time. You know, the expectation to get blueberries off your bush the first year is a uh, naive one. <laughs> unrealistic. Right? Yeah. Unrealistic. Right. We have an aronia berry bush we planted five years ago, six years ago that we get this year, we got four or five gallons of super high antioxidant berries that we freeze. And now we get to use in our smoothies for the next six months until the next growing season. But that bush, we didn't get fruit on it the first two years, but now it's providing 
right. with no maintenance, nothing. And this is part of perennial food that you want to think about. Tomatoes are great on an annual basis. You learn and it's dynamic and stuff. You should plant blueberry or ronya berry or some sort of berries that eventually provide you a, you know, you need to wait three or four years. I planted, I planted 12 fruit trees and it, it's our pear tree exploded this year. First year we ever had pears. The squirrels got every one of them. Oh yeah. It's all as fun. soon as they turned a little sweet. <laughs> I remember that. This is, this is a problem with monocultures, but it doesn't matter because next year there's going to be more and next year there's going to be more. And eventually there's going to be too much for the animals to take, but there is a little bit of that is a longer term thing that you start to feel really proud of five years in. It's like growing, you know, it's like having children. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you they, it's a, it's a thing that Constant happens over process. time. Constant yeah. learning process. And then you have these things like basil and kale and sprouts yeah. are faster iteration. So right. just keep doing them. Right. Yeah. Well, when we already pre pre recording, we talked about my my challenge with sprouts, but I'm getting there. Well, Chris, I want to respect your time here. So, but to, yep. to recap what you just said, and I'll, and I'll go learn about the composting myself based on the lessons you've just taught me, because that is exactly where I was hoping that question would go. Learn, but learn from multiple sources. Yes. Learn, learn efficiently. We talked about the speed of the videos and learning efficiently, right. expect little and do things that have little effort at the beginning, which I like. I just like that from a general concept of life and exercise do it too, right? Start slow. Start slow. Start slow. Keep expectations low. Let this Pay be a attention. process. Pay attention was a big one. Throw away efforts. You know that that was that was the bullet points that I'm gonna I'm gonna share in the show notes of this episode too because nice. it didn't because it really didn't matter what I asked you about right and it didn't have to be food right. it didn't have to be food related it could have been making those cherry pit bags it could have been building furniture the the lessons here are are perfect and I think this is what people need as a good starting point. I just want to tell one story about compost. Clean started with compost. Oh, please, when we, please do. When, yeah, we just started, yeah. when we decided to start composting, again, you all, we bought the machine. It wasn't a machine. It was a big barrel that yeah. had a crank, right? So okay. it was a, did my research. It's like, what, what composter is efficient and gives you bang for your buck? And so I bought this thing and we were having a party, a, a company party at our place, hosting everybody. Um, and some of the people are like, what? So... We had no idea how to do composting. <laughs> okay. Read the things and it's like, okay, the basic idea is you put equal amount of green stuff, nitrogen sources. So that's vegetable scraps, grass, anything green, greenish, okay. wet, no okay. fat, no meat, no nothing, just natural stuff. Okay. Kind of equal parts that and equal parts carbon. Carbon is dried leaves, sticks, straw, paper, like that's okay. carbon, right? And yeah. so you need to combine those to get the reaction going and you need to provide it air. So that's why it needs to tumble or you need to turn the pile. Okay. okay. So those, that's the base and it needs to be the right moisture level, which is roughly everything's kind of wet, like a wrung out sponge. Okay. So those are the principles back to our brand new composting. One of the, I remember Robert asking, Hey, what are those things? And we're like, they're composting. We're, we're learning how to take our vegetable scraps and stuff and put them in there. And eventually we'll have nutrient rich compost that'll fuel our garden. Awesome. Awesome. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> we're cleaning up, we're cleaning up the party. And there's these, you know, those wicker baskets that catering companies use or something. Yeah. We bought some, uh, we bought some things from either jewel or wherever 
of trays of cheese or fruit or whatever it was, but there were a couple of these left over and Robert picks them up and it's like, Hey, these look like carbon. Can we put those in the composter? I'm like, sure. Throw them in the composter and puts them in the composter. I was like, give it a twirl, blah, blah, blah. Mix it up. Those things never broke down (laughs) (laughs) for the next three months. I would turn it, open it up to look at it. And there's two baskets in there. (laughs) They Uh, were, it was, it's way too much like sturdy carbon. It's like throwing logs in there, right? uh, It's not going to break down. It's not soft enough. It wasn't (laughs) shredded. It was, you know, and so we learned a little bit. And now in retrospect, we laugh at how naive we were. Like we had no clue, but when Robert asked, should I throw it in there? It's like, yeah, throw it in. Let's throw it in. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I, yeah. I mean, I'm hoping it works. And then was I, what was I, was I disappointed when it didn't work? I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I was like, I just cracked up laughing. Like there's no, once I started, oh, there's no way that that's going to break down. This isn't like magic. It's not Right. Yeah. It's not magic. Right. It's a biological that's, process and that's a very hardy thing to have to break down. Now yeah. I have six web-based they're not barrels. They're they're just material that has holes in them. I have six of those in the back of my yard that all have beautiful compost in them because I kind of know how it works now. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. But because you experimented, because yeah, because you allowed Look yourself where it started. To Look you, where it started. Complete yeah. naivety, but yeah. with action, action and learning and paying attention. Allow yourself to learn. I think is a big takeaway Huge from from, takeaway. from this episode. Awesome. 100%. Chris, for those that do want to hear more from you, maybe even the people that want to, you know, from, from your consulting side, um, you know, you never know where listeners come from. Where can people find you? So you should go over to abundantprofessional.com and sign up for my weekly newsletter, which I just share ideas like this every week, mostly every week. And you can see what I'm about and cool. would love to love to hear your guys' stories or what questions you have and happy to respond to any email on questions on things. Love it. I, I am subscribe to that. And I do oh, nice. love, I love your emails. So, oh, nice. Thanks. So thank you. Yeah. I, I learn a lot as always from you, Chris. Thanks again. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to Super do this. Fun. Thank you for having me. This is, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed where I get to have a lot of these conversations with you, but, but I'm glad I got to unselfishly share you a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> Record one. So yes. All right. So all right, listeners, thank you very much. Uh, definitely check out AbundantProfessional.com and don't forget to rate and review this episode. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.LifestyleAsMedicinePodcast.com and visit www.MarHealthAndPerformance.com and at MarHealthAndPerformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.